Cornucopia Radio presents This special Halloween edition of the Cornucopia Radio Show contains drama, music and comedy which some people may find disturbing or distasteful. If you are unsure, please detune your radio. at Sheffield East Police Station, DCI Carpenter attending. So far, the interview subject has not given out his name and was found wandering in the city centre wearing only a strange metallic silver suit. He has refused the offer of a state-supplied lawyer and keeps insisting he talks to the people. Interview commencing. Hello, my name is DCI Robert Carpenter. Can we first start by having your own name, please? Unfortunately, my true name would be impossible for you to pronounce or write. Also, considering the amount of time we have, I feel it would only serve as a distraction. I hope you are happy to continue this conversation without the need for one. Well, it would make filling out this paperwork a little easier. If you must, then you may call me Regulon. Why Regulon? It is an element your race has not yet discovered. An element whose properties my race most closely resembles. Your race? I take it by this you're suggesting you're not of this planet... Because I've got to say, you look quite human to me. It's been a long night, okay? Can you just tell me your name or address and we can all go home? Do not underestimate the advancement of my race. This is merely a living exosuit that allows me to project my essence across the transspatial pathways. My true form exists in my home dimension, where others are also monitoring this situation. Ah, so you're not from another planet, just another dimension. Uh, do you really expect me to believe that? I don't expect anything of you. My only purpose here is to debrief you and your people of the situation and the end of this experiment. We are led to believe that your kind would describe it as pruning the branches. What do you mean? Let me begin by saying that, as a member of an intelligent species far superior to your own, I am previewed to a large array of interstellar social parameters. Before my journey to Earth... It was decided that the most appropriate course of action would be to explain the situation to the entire human race. In this task, I have already begun the transmission of this interview to every broadcasting device on the planet via a frequency this exosuit emits naturally. Can I get you a drink? You know, some kind of coffee, perhaps? You sound like you really need a coffee. It all began when my race strived to create the most advanced intelligence known to our galaxy. My predecessor was the leading expert in the field of biomechanics and founded the institutes I now lead. He discovered a way to create life from the mixing of two elements he himself had designed. These two elements, when combined, would create climate, seas, and most importantly, bacteria. Combining those elements on millions of desolate, barren planets, my predecessor witnessed the spark that created every world. Those bacteria evolved to form the many life forms that now inhabit every planet, and on each one, it was the humans that prevailed to become the most intelligent of all species. You should write some of this stuff down. Make a great story. You joke. But even with your slow, primitive brain, it is surely not beyond you to understand how many of these worlds might fail. Fa fail? What are you talking about? We have seen the wars, the tyranny, and the death on your planet. This was not meant to be. You all know this. The worlds we create are not meant to exist in this state. 
Individual failures must not be allowed to compromise the entire experiment. Branches must be pruned. Oh, it's Halloween, isn't it? Then it's always come out on Halloween. All the algorithmic and biometric tests we have run have deduced that the advancement of this planet has come to a conclusive and definitive halt. Therefore, this exosuit will now commence its own self-destruction program as the only known solution to this problem. The improved Project God will continue uninterrupted with the removal of this world. Prepare for the end. Exposure to the sun's rays would surely cause him to perish. He stays protected in the satin-lined chamber bearing his family name in silver. Then the moment of darkness comes and through some miraculous instinct, the fiend emerges from the safety of his hiding place and, assuming the hideous forms of the bat or the wolf, he prowls the countryside, drinking the blood of his victims. Finally, before the first rays of his arch-enemy, the sun, announce a new day, he hurries back to the safety of his hidden coffin and sleeps as the cycle begins anew. Now he starts to stir. The fluttering of his eyelids are a response to some age-old unexplainable instinct. The sun is nearly down and his time is near. Tonight he is particularly hungry. And as he lies there fully awake now in red-lined cape and tails, waiting to feel with uncanny perception the precise moment of darkness before opening the lid and emerging. He decides who this evening's victims will be. The baker and his wife, he thinks to himself, succulent, available, and unsuspecting. The thought of the unwary couple whose trust he has carefully cultivated excites his bloodlust to a fever pitch, and he can barely hold back these last seconds before climbing out of his coffin to seek his prey. Suddenly he knows the sun is down. Like an angel of hell, he rises swiftly and changing into a bat, flies straight to the cottage of his tantalizing victims.
Why, Count Dracula, what a nice surprise. Come in, come in. What brings you here so early? Our dinner date. I hope I haven't made an error. You did invite me for tonight, didn't you? I must say I do so enjoy a good bite of food. Aye, tonight. But that's not for seven hours yet. Sorry, what was that? Or did you come by to watch the eclipse with us? The eclipse? Aye. Today's the day of the total eclipse. What? A few moments of darkness from noon until two minutes after. Look out the window. Uh Uh-oh. I'm in big trouble. Eh? Now, if you'll excuse me. What's wrong, Count Dracula? I must be, uh, I must be going. (laughs) Oh, God. Going? You just came. Yes, but, but, but I think I might have misjudged things a little. Count Dracula, you're looking a little pale. Am I? Well, well, perhaps, perhaps I need a little fresh air. It was nice seeing you. Come, sit down. We'll have a drink. A drink? Uh, no, no, no. I, I must run. Um, if you don't mind, you, you, you're stepping on my cape. Relax. Some wine, perhaps. Uh, wine? No, 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 no. Gave it up. Uh, liver and all that, you know. And, you know, I really must buzz off. I, I just remembered I left the lights on at the um, at the castle, and 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 the bills will be enormous. Please, you're not intruding. Don't be so polite. So you're early. So what? Well, really, I, I'd like to stay, but there's a meeting of the old Romanian counts across town, and, and, and I'm responsible for the cold cuts. Rush, rush, rush. It's all you ever do. It's a wonder you don't have heart attack. Yes, uh, right, uh, and, and now I must... Uh... Is that the Count? Count Dracula. You remember my wife, don't you? Yes, 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 yes whatever. Uh, but, but, but I really should... Um... I'm making chicken casserole tonight. I do hope you like it. You are a little early, though. Have you come to watch the eclipse with us? I've already asked him that, dear. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. Now, 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 if you'll excuse me. The Count means to leave with a smile as he pushes the baker's wife aside into some laundry. Then, opening a closet door by mistake, he walks in. Christ, where's, where's the goddamn front door? Oh, you're such a funny man, Count. Yes, I knew you'd like that one. The old walking through the wrong door by mistake. But, but, but now I really must make my real goodbyes. Oh, look, dear. The eclipse must be over. The sun's coming out again. Right. Uh, I've decided to stay. Uh, pull down the window shades. Quickly, quickly, move it. What window shades? You've got no window shades. Uh, really? Figures. Okay, have you got a basement in this place? No, no, I'm always telling him to build one, but he never listens. Okay, time to panic. Um, where's that closet again? You did that one already, Count Dracula. It was most hilarious. Ah, yes, such a funny man, the Count. Look, I'll be in the closet. Uh, knock at 7.30. Oh, he's so funny. He cracks me up. Oh, Count, come out of the closet. Stop being a big silly. Can't. Please take my word for it. Just let me stay here. I'm fine, really. Count Dracula, stop the fooling. We're already helpless with laughter. Yeah, I know, I know. It seems strange, but yet, here I am, having a ball. I was just saying to Mrs. Hess the other day, give me a good closet, and I can stand in it for hours. Sweet woman, Mrs. Hess. Fat, but sweet. Now, why don't you run along and check back with me at sunset? As luck would have it, the Lord Mayor happens upon the scene. 
he was passing by during his afternoon stroll and decided to pay a call upon his good friends, the baker and his wife. Good day. I hope I'm not intruding. Of course not, Mr. Mayor. Come out, Count Dracula. We have company. What? Is the Count here? Oh, yes, and you'll never guess where. It's so rare to see him this early. In fact, I don't think I can ever recall seeing him around in the daytime before. Well, he's here. Come on out, Count Dracula. Where is he? Let's go. Hi, he's in the closet. Really? It's some kind of joke he's playing. Enough is enough now, Count. The Mayor's here. Please, come on out, Count. Let us toast and have a drink together. No, no, you, you go ahead. Uh, I've got some business in here to attend to. In the closet? Yes, yes, don't let me spoil your day. I, I can hear what you're saying. I'll join in if I have anything to add. Everyone looks at one another and shrugs. Wine is poured and they all drink. Some eclipse today. Ah, incredible. Yes, thrilling. What was that, Count? Oh, nothing, nothing, let it go. And so the time passes until the mayor can stand it no longer. He gets up and, forcing open the door to the closet, he shouts, Come now, Dracula! I always thought you were a mature man. Let us stop this craziness right now. The daylight streams in, causing the evil monster to shriek and slowly dissolve to a skeleton and eventually to dust before the eyes of the three people present. Leaning down to the piles of white ash on the closet floor, the mayor can but think of only one thing to say. I take it this means dinner's off tonight. When does a ghost have breakfast? In the morning. I lost my school when I was 17, and I haven't looked back since. It started four years prior, when I got wrinkles when nobody else did. Because I was only 13, and who gets wrinkles when they're 13? But everyone was too polite to say anything, so it wasn't too big a deal. And then, when I was 14, I started losing my hair, big chunks of it at a time. I didn't know what was wrong. Nobody ever said anything, even when I came out of the bathroom with chunks of hair in my brush and a bald patch tears in my eyes. Mum said, Honey, what's wrong? Like I was being unreasonable. So I let it go. By the time I was 15, I lost my fingernails and went bald. I'd go home and write in my journal. I'm disintegrating. Oh God, I'm dissolving. But my friends acted like they hadn't noticed and just wondered why I cried all the time. Teenage angst, I heard my brother say knowingly one day. On my 16th birthday, My family rented a limo as my scalp peeled away from the bone. Mum and Dad looked the other way as my friends and I all got drunk. 
I pretended nothing was happening, because that's what everyone else seemed to be doing. Maybe if I ignored everything, it would go away. The day after, I woke up with a killer hangover and looked in the mirror. My bleach white skull was cracking. I started thinking, shouldn't I be at the hospital? I reached up and touched the cracks and got a sliver of bone in my fingertip, but it didn't bleed. So I went into the living room and asked my dad, shouldn't I be in the hospital? He looked concerned and said, are you feeling sick? Did you do a little too much partying last night? He told me to go back to sleep. When I woke up and picked more bone off my pillow, I decided I was insane. But I didn't want to go up to a mental institution. Because how was I supposed to become a dentist if I was in a mental institution? Of course, I started spitting out teeth later that evening. But I guess dentistry isn't about my own teeth, so I wasn't that worried. Later, my knees kept cracking ominously. And I lost the pinky and the ring finger on my left hand, and the middle finger and thumb on my right. My skull crumbled off, and now every time I look in the mirror, I can see it. I can see my brain. Grey, pulsing, wetly. It feels sort of... rubbery. I'm not sure whether to wash it when I shower. What should I do? Last week, when I was walking home, I looked out in the crowd and I could see someone's brain. Like they didn't have a skull either. And she saw me and sprinted towards me. She had dark circles under her eyes and she looked deathly thin. Plus, her right shin seemed to have fallen off and was now replaced by a sawn-off broomstick shoved into the flesh in her knee. She grabbed me by the elbows, shook me and screamed, It's happening to you! It's happening to you too! And her eyes looked desperate, but she had no eyelashes. I stared at her till she let go and ran off sobbing. My elbows have felt loose ever since. Now, I sort of wish I had talked to her though, because both my knees burst at once, and I can't get up from this spot. It's nice that no one's making a scene over me, but I really can't move. And I told my parents I'd be home by seven. Somebody will come along soon. I'm sure. Delicious homemade jams and jellies. The best in the village. Guaranteed fresh. £3.50 per jar. Mrs Milner, 
Are you here? It was unusual to find the village jelly lady not at the counter. I'd come for my weekly jar of strawberry jam during my evening walk. Without an answer, I began to wonder if the old woman was eating dinner in the back of the shop. Coming, dearie, the sweet old crone's voice called out. She appeared in the doorway, coming upstairs from what I presumed was the storage room. The usual this week. One jar of strawberry, please. I fished the two pounds in change from my pocket and placed it on the counter. She looked at me and frowned. I'm sorry, but it's going to be three fifty this week. The price of jars went up again, I'm afraid. I pulled a few coins that I'd been saving from my other pocket and added them to the rest. It's worth it, I said. You make the best jam I've ever had. It's just sweet enough and not too tart. What's your secret? I asked her this every week and she always gave me the same answer. It's an old family recipe. But tonight she surprised me. How do you like to see how it's done? Are you serious? Sure. I probably came across a little over-enthusiastic, but I didn't care. I was finally going to learn the Milner family jam secret. She locked the front door, hung up the closed sign, and gestured for me to follow her downstairs. The basement turned out to be part storeroom and part production facility. The south wall was covered by shelves, stocked to the brim with all kinds of jams and jellies, each labelled with the type of fruit within. On the north wall was a table loaded with fruit presses, juices, empty jars and other production tools. Mrs Milner took great pride in identifying each and every one of them, giving me a little history lesson on where and when she'd acquired the tools. The east wall was taken up by bins of fresh fruits, apples, blueberries and strawberries. She reached into a bin and pulled out an apple. Free with every purchase, she said, handing it to me. I thanked her and bit into it. I grow all my own ingredients in the garden. Nothing goes into my jams and jellies without my personal inspection and approval. What's in there? I asked as I pointed to the steel door on the west wall. Oh, that's where I keep the sweetener. A whole room just for sugar? No, I don't use sugar. It's too much trouble to make. Then how do you sweeten the jams? She unlocked the door and said, Have a look for yourself. I stepped inside the dark room. I couldn't see a thing, but I did hear a faint buzzing coming from all around me. What's that noise? Bees. Bees? They make such delicious honey. It's much easier to sweeten the jams with honey, you know. I guess it must be pretty cheap if you make the honey yourself. I turned to go back to the basement proper, but found the door closing with a metallic clank. Um, Miss Milner, open the door. I'm still in here. The honey is cheap, yes. But the expensive part is keeping them fed. Do you know how much it costs to raise enough flowers to feed a room full of bees? I'm so glad you came in tonight. You're going to help cut my costs, and then I can go back to selling my jams and jellies for only two pounds each. I beat on the door, ramming it with my shoulder and giving it a series of good kicks. Open this door, you crazy old bat. Such rudeness, I heard her say. <laughs> I hope my bees find you sweeter than I do. <laughs> Then came a series of metal clangs, most likely the sound of little crate doors opening in the darkness. 
The buzzing grew louder, filling the room with a reverberating hum. Delicious homemade jams and jellies. The best in the village. Guaranteed fresh. Two pounds per jar. Why is a ghost such a messy eater? Because he's always a goblin. Dear Mr. Man, or if you prefer, Mr. Boogie, I would like to think that we are friends, or at least associates. Our working relationship of scarer, scary concluded many years ago, largely because of my advancing age and a less elastic view of reality. It was a natural process, one which I'm sure you've endured countless times during your existence as a faceless concept of horror. Despite this, I still fondly remember our time together and the many late nights I spent cowering in terror whilst closely watching my closet. However, what I would like to discuss today is a delicate personal matter, one which I feel should be addressed in the interests of all involved, and I thank you in advance for your consideration. I'm not sure what my rights are vis-à-vis our previous contract, but in the interest of maintaining our personal relationship, I wonder if we could establish some new ground rules. You see, the problem we face now is one of changing roles, for I find myself in the new position of father, and I make this request on behalf of my newborn child. Now, far be it from me to try and dictate how you would do your job, but I have a small request. Could you see your way to maybe scaling down your campaign of nighttime horror a small bit? I was thinking maybe you could divvy up the work a bit more evenly with the monster under the bed or even the thing in the drain. I only ask because of the excellent work you did on me. Really, after a few years of staring into your forbidding closet home, I forgot all about other phantasms. You were the cardinal fear of my childhood, and I applaud you for that. I'm just looking for a more robust experience for my daughter, something with a bit more variety. Firstly, I must apologise for the lack of closet doors in her room. That was partly because of a structural limitation in the room we chose for her, and also partly a homage to your own mark on my personal psyche, so kudos to you for that. Next, I understand how hard it is for fictional horror these days. After all, strong, terrifying fables just don't garner the respect they used to. Yet, I feel terror is an important building block in a healthy, developing mind, and yes, although today's children live with stress, perhaps more so than any other generation, I fear that they do not know true primal terror, and are worse off for it. Nightmares of nuclear war and mysterious entities lurking just out of sight made me more aware of the scope and variety of life in a unique way, and I feel I'm better off for it. So let's work together to bridge the gap between the old and the new. Superstitions and fears for the next generation, if you might. Finally, on a personal note, I just wanted to thank you for being such a creative nemesis. Your commitment to new and exciting hiding spots and night noises was, in retrospect, a pleasure to endure. 
experimenting with hiding in the rattling pipes of our central heating system, inspired many flights up the stairs during my youth, no doubt strengthening my growing cardiovascular system. And the visitation you made while I was deep in a dangerous fever inspired me to scream out with such intensity as to alert my parents as to my unwell condition. Yes, the memory of your blank, void-like, star-filled form haunts me to this day, and for that, I'm forever grateful. So, I look forward to working with you again, and I appreciate your consideration of all the above matters. Terrifiedly yours, Michael. Aged 38 and three quarters. Good evening, Johnson. How goes the research? I hope you've got something exciting to show us. The world of bathroom fixtures and fittings has been without true innovation for far too long. That's why we need to come up with some new concepts. Something that can wow them at this year's trade show. Well, it's a lot of pressure, sir, but I think I've come up with something. Ah, excellent, excellent. What is it? It's a bathroom cabinet mirror. And? Oh, oh, of course. Okay, now, what does your normal trip to the bathroom involve? Relieving yourself of waste products? Brushing your teeth? Um, a shower before work? Yes, I think we'd all agree that these are good bathroom activities. In fact, I'd call them fine bathroom activities. But what is the one thing they all lack? Mm, I'm sure, some kind of advertising synergy opportunity. Close, but way off. What they all lack is pant-shreddingly fearful situations, and this is where my new bathroom cabinet comes in. Ah, okay. Now you've got me intrigued. Tell me more. Well, we've created a special type of mirror, one that uses patented refraction technologies, meaning it can completely mask the appearance of any secondary object in a given room. So how would that lead to a fearful situation? Ah, the real genius of the technology is when it's turned off. Boom! You see someone stood behind you. It freaks you out a bit. You quickly turn round and the object is gone. And boom! That freaks you out a bit more. Hmm, can you give me some examples? We've already run a few test scenarios. Uh, check these out. You're stood at the mirror, thinking about a long day at work yet to come. You open the cabinet to retrieve your prescription medication. You close the mirror and then dum-dum-dum! There's a crazy old woman stood behind you in the reflection. Well, I'm not really sure how that... Okay, uh... okay. You don't like that. I can see it. We have lots of other situations, though. Um, you're an innocent girl who's planning on losing her virginity to a mysterious but softly spoken young boy. But when you close the mirror, dum-dum-dum, it's a psychopath holding a knife and wearing a mask made of human flesh. Or dum-dum-dum, it's a small waif-like Japanese child with hollow dead eyes. Or dum-dum-dum, it's a repulsive demon come to take your soul straight to hell. The possibilities to this are less than endless. The dum-dum-dum sound, is it really necessary? What, the dum-dum-dum sound? 
No, that's part of the package. You need that to complete the freakout. It's vital. So, are we going to get some kind of composer to score that for us? No, no, it'll be me doing the sound. So you're going to record yourself making the sound? No, no, I'll be there, live in person, making the noise. Dum-dum-dum! You'll be there in person? Yeah, I mean, I have to be there anyway. Pretending to be the crazy old lady, a knife-wielding psychopath, freaky Japanese child, or avenging demon. You, you see, that's the only real problem. None of these things actually exist, so somebody has to fill in for them. It's okay, though. Uh, I'm going to let my hair grow long and greasy. Uh, I should be able to pass for any of them on a dark night. Okay, I'm beginning to suspect you've wandered away from the original brief a little. Besides, how will you know who owns one of our special mirrors? Uh, I'll, I'll just follow them home from the store. Uh... Then, when they're not looking, I'll sneak into their house and hide behind the shower curtain. You'll hide behind their shower curtain. Well, that, that special mirror refraction tech doesn't work as well as we'd hoped. So it's mainly just me popping out when they're not looking and hiding again before they notice. Oh, and the dum-dum-dum sound, of course. Ah, so, so it's not a special mirror at all. No. It's just a job lot we bought from Ikea. And what if they don't have a shower curtain? Well, maybe I could hide in their laundry basket. Look, we haven't finished the final specs of this thing yet. Stuff might change. But why would anyone want something like this? It doesn't really fit into our product range. Yeah, I was hoping the marketing department could figure that kind of thing out. I just invent the stuff. It's kind of like that time Mark created the bidet. Nobody had a clue what to do with it until those spods at marketing suggested hovering a poop shoot over it for a quick spit and polish. Yeah, I, I think I might pass on this one. You do this to me every time. Do you know how long I worked on coming up with the perfect dum-dum-dum sound? You reacted the exact same way when I showed you that mobile phone that can't pick up a signal when you've been stalked by a chainsaw-wielding maniac. Also, you totally disregarded those cats I trained from birth. You know... The ones that jump out and scare people when they least expect it. And those self-hiding car keys that disappear when people need to make a quick escape. You didn't even give them a second thought. That's it. I've had enough of you and your crazy ideas. You're fired. Get out of this damn office right now. Oh, trust me, I'm going. Because if you ever see me again, it'll be too soon. <sighs> I don't know where we find these people. We've really got to start hiring from a better pool of graduates. Turn around. I'm right behind you. Uh, yeah! Oh! Dum dum! See? See? How freaked out were you just then? See? It works! Get out of my office! Yeah, you were still freaked out though. I could tell. What instruments do skeletons play? Trombone. As Karen pulled into her driveway, another boring day at the office behind her, she gave a friendly smile to her next-door neighbour, who waved nervously back. In the garage, she stepped out of the car, grabbed her purse and her small satchel, and headed for the house. 
The front gate, swinging softly in the wind, didn't concern her, but she swore she'd closed it on her way out that morning. She went inside the house, dropped off her things, and headed for the bathroom. When she came back, she thought she saw a face in the window just outside the kitchen, and it gave her quite a start. However, there was nothing there when she looked again. She thought it was probably nothing. She picked up the post from the front door, sorted through it, and looked in particular at one piece of mail. She walked to her desk and grabbed the letter opener, tearing into the envelope she'd received. She read it with concern as she sat on the couch, the slight creak of the door upstairs refusing to faze her. She began preparing a light dinner, laughing to herself about not having a date this weekend. Was she going to be alone forever? She finally slid the pie into the oven and headed back to the bathroom to wash her hands. When she came back, she didn't even notice the letter opener had gone missing. She put on her favourite TV show and sat down on the couch with her small plate, slowly eating while engrossed by the screen. A shadow flickered not once but twice across the set, yet she paid it no attention. Later she got a phone call from her mother, asking about her day and her plans for the rest of the weekend. She never really liked talking to her mum. There was a lot of passive aggression between every line, but it was good to have another person around, even if it was just their voice. She walked around the house as she spoke, the glint of slick steel in the large mirror adorning the dining room never once catching her eye. Finally, she hung up, telling her mum she was going to watch a movie and go to sleep early. She went back to the living room, pulled a weepy romantic comedy from her stacks and threw it in the DVD player. The sun had just set and Karen was asleep before the two main characters had even met. When she came to, the house was completely dark, except for the hallway. She couldn't recall turning the light on in there, but then again she was pretty forgetful. Slowly, she made her way to her bedroom, plopping down on the bed and grabbing her latest tableside novel. Eventually, she felt her eyelids drooping once again, and she laid the book down on the dresser. As the bedside light was flicked off, she thought she heard someone breathing heavily underneath the bed. She quickly flipped the switch back on and sat up. She waited for nearly five minutes, wondering if she should look, waiting for some other sound. Finally, she told herself to just look under the bed and to stop being so silly. She grabbed hold of the table and slowly bent her head under the... It was then that Karen learnt, you're never truly alone. details of the performers on this podcast, visit www.cornucopia-radio.co.uk. Unless otherwise specified, all original material on this podcast is copyright 2010 to Cornucopia Productions.